If you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. We'll be looking, uh, finishing up the second chapter of Acts as we've started this seven, uh, or looking at the first seven chapters of Acts as we've gone throughout the summer. Um, I would say if you have missed them, I would encourage you to go back. Just go read the, the, the chapters before this and let the Spirit be at work in that. But we've looked at this and what we've seen over the last two weeks as we've looked in the first chapters of, of Acts. We first, we looked at Pentecost and the coming and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, right? This is a huge seismic shift as God begins His mission through His people, right? That's why we're even looking at these seven chapters is because something significant changes after Jesus' death and resurrection and His ascension. His believers, the body, the church, is completely different after that. Like what God does in that, it changes everything, right? So it's coming out of His resurrection. It's seeing this power. God's Spirit comes to dwell in us, right? So we first talked about that and seeing the picture of the Spirit coming to dwell in us. The power of the Holy Spirit is in every single one who believes in Jesus. It's not a portion of the power that you need to get more of and that you get more of as you get mature. That's the crazy part. That's how amazing God is. God puts in a new believer the same power that raised Jesus from the dead as he does the believer who's, who's been a believer for his whole life. Right? Like, that's at work. That's why you see when children come to faith, when teenagers come to faith, like, there's some stuff that starts happening because the things that they're not doing is kind of quenching the spirit going, hey, that's weird, don't do that, right? Because the, the spirit's powers at work in them, they just want it to happen. And so the spirit comes to be with his people. We talked last week about the kind of middle section as Jesus promised the spirit and the spirit's coming, this waiting on God, right? It's a theme for us, a continual reminder. Um, the church in this waiting in the, before they're even known as the church, God's disciple, Jesus' disciples, 120 of them are already known for unity, for prayer, for obedience, and for believing. Like that's what they're known for. Before the spirits even come to them, that's who they are because they're falling after what Jesus has taught them. So there they are waiting in the upper room when uh, the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. Um, and then this amazing picture everyone shows up at their doorstep, right? When the Holy Spirit came, the whole town knew it. All of Jerusalem is like, what is happening? They show up there because something different is going on there, right? And I think this as a great little side note after kind of thinking back on this on my, for myself over this last week, is God is bringing the people to them. God has told them through Jesus, I'm going to make you, you're going to go make disciples in Judea, uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But I want you to wait right here. And then what does he do? He brings the nations to them. Like in their waiting, that wasn't wasted waiting. It was actually God preparing it. And then God was bringing the people that they needed right to them. Even though he says, you're going to go be my witnesses in all these places. He brought the people that they need that needed to hear this good news to them. He's making this happen in front of them. God is doing it. Like that's an act of God. 
God is doing that for them. And I think it's even a reminder for us today, God's bringing people already to us. We, we don't have to go somewhere. Like, it's, they're already around us. It's our neighbors. It's our coworkers, right? It's our family. It's our friends, the people we're seeing on a regular basis. God is already doing that. He's bringing them to us. So the disciples now are speaking in languages that they didn't know, people are, but people are understanding them. People are amazed. Yet some are claiming, these guys, the only way to explain this is they've got to be drunk. Like, there, there's nothing, like, it's either amazement or it's so crazy, they've got to be on something, right? Like, that's really the picture. We don't, doesn't make sense. It's not computing to the people around them. Would people be able to look at our lives like the disciples and go, this just doesn't make sense. They're living in a way that's different. They're doing something that's different than the world around them. That ought to be a character, a a portrait of our life is that it looks different, not just because we're good people, but because we're filled with a good God, the Holy Spirit, who's now changing us and causing us to do things that are outside of our own abilities. So here we are stepping into kind of the what happens next, right? It's been building up there. All these people are showing up. They're recognizing. They're speaking my languages. They're hearing what they're saying in their words, right? So we're about to hear Peter's first sermon, the first sermon of the church. But before we get there, I want us to think back six weeks six weeks in Peter's life to before he proclaims this word, right? Because it's a pretty powerful but pretty clear word from Peter. And I want you to think about what happened in his life leading up to that. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Simon, Simon, this is Jesus talking to Peter. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, what did he say to him? Lord, I'm ready to go with you for prison and death. And Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will uh, not crow on this day until you deny me three times that you, uh, deny, uh, deny three times that you know me. That's pretty crazy. Peter I mean, even this reminder, even reading this over this week, Satan's demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. That's scary thought. But what did Jesus say? This is his comfort to him. But I've prayed for you. Satan's trying to come in into our lives and he wants to crush us, sift us like wheat. That's not a gentle process. And Jesus' response is, I'm praying for you. Right? I know there's been a lot, especially after um, the shooting in Uvalde, about uh, thoughts and prayers. I can tell you, yes, it cannot stop at thoughts and prayers. But prayer is not nothing. If Jesus' response to Peter isn't like, I've got your back, I'm going to be around you, there's 10,000 angels that will come and save you, his response is, I'm praying for you. That your faith would not go. That's all he needed to do. Now, Peter even sees that and goes like, I'm willing to go wherever you want to go. Let's do this. I'm going to prison for you. So it's not so easy, Peter. You're going to deny me three times before this day is even over. We go on down. He says, uh, after Jesus has been 
taken. It says they seized Jesus and led him away to bring him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together and Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And then after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you were talking about, and turned immediately while he was speaking. The rooster crowed. Man, what? I can't even imagine this spot right now. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered what the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before, the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Again, Jesus looking at him isn't looking at him to condemn him. Right? We see it as that. Like Jesus going like, I told you so. Jesus knows what's going on with him. He said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. How's Satan sifting him like wheat? A little servant girl to other guys saying, you can't do this. You, you're, you're, a bat, you're, you're, going, you're one of his followers. I mean, he knows where he's going to come after him. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. It's that Peter. I mean, those stories certainly went around from person to person. Those other disciples in that room remembered. You're the one that was going to go with him to prison, right? That's what you said. But yet instead, you gave up on him. You said you didn't even know him three times, just like he said he would. Like, that's what's happening in that group of people, right? Like, it's impossible to think they were all just like, we'll forget that. We won't ever, like, no, I'm going to know. I'm going to look over there and go, that's Peter over there. That's that guy that did that. Peter, denying Christ, is claiming that he didn't even know him. So it's even more remarkable what Peter's first sermon is like. Now what he is about to courageously do is to proclaim to these people that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, that this Jesus, the one that you crucified and wanted to die, is the one that's doing all the things that you're seeing and he wants to change your life. So how does this happen? Where does this look? We'll, we'll read, uh, it's a big chunk of scripture, but second, uh, Acts 2, 14 through 41. So the Spirit has come. People are going, what's going on here? Are they drunk? They're amazed. And Peter stands up with the other 11, and he lifts a voice and addresses them, men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give to, uh, ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day, about 9 a.m. But this is, uh, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams, shall dream dreams. 
Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My people also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb and is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Haiti, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and all of that we are all witnesses. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself, the Lord, said uh, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him Lord in Christ. This is Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, of the promise, uh, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let me pray for us. And as I just summarize this ver- these words today, know that I'm not re-preaching Peter's sermon, right? But what does God want us to hear this morning? God, Father, speak in this next few moments. Remind us of the simplicity and the power of of the good news of Jesus. Lord, help us to be focused on its simplicity and power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a couple things to note about this. 
first Peter's sermon here pretty simple. Not real complicated. A very like a you know brief depiction of what they would have all known. He thought about what would they know, what did they need to know, what did they see, and how do we can uh, how do we um, relate these and to it in this way? Simple terms that can be easily explained, uncomplicated. I will say two things that are stuck out to me. Not argumentative. Not trying to win an argument. Let's state the facts and this is what it is. And informative. This is who he is. Let me give you a clear view of who Jesus is. The second thing, it's scriptural. In Peter's first sermon, the element of scriptural, of scriptural proof dominates it, right? So there's three major texts that form the framework of the speech. Joel 20, uh, 2, 28 through 32, Psalm 16, 8 through 11, and then Psalm 110, 1, all right? So they're, they're echoes of other Old Testament texts and traditions that are also through here, but he has a solid biblical reasons to believe in Jesus. It's not just what they saw, it's also that what they saw is what was foretold and prophesied that every one of them would have known. So he's giving them the facts of what's happening, scriptural facts, and ultimately it's Christ-centered. The people's question, what does this mean, is his launching point from where he fires off the truths about Christ. It is truths about Jesus that transforms their hearts, right? It's not some great argument he has about some other thing that's going on out there. It's not anything relating to, again, he got there and he could be trying to describe what was going on with the Holy Spirit. He goes, no, I've got him here. Let me keep it simple. Let me go to the point. And the point is, this is all happening because of Jesus. Let me explain to you everything that you're seeing. I can't explain to you the rushing wind sound, the tongues of fire that were flying over our heads. I'm not trying to even get into that. In fact, he doesn't even acknowledge it outside of saying we're filled with the Holy Spirit. He just says, listen, the purpose and the focus of this is all about Jesus. He's, he's brought you here. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. So Peter not only shows how to proclaim my, Christ's message, but also how to, Right? Like, I mean, uh, or what to say. He goes, it's simple. We can do this simply. But like, here's some ways we can do this. All right. So let's look at the content. All right. What does he do? He gets their attention. Peter, standing there with the eleven, lifted his voice and said, Men of Judea and all Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. Right. He begins to explain a little bit. Here's what's going on here. I know you're all thinking, why do we show up here? There's this big win. Here's this going on. But there's a real reason to it. Right. He says, they're not drunk. It's early in the morning. It's 9 a.m. Right? Alcohol hasn't overcome them. Something else has. Something else has taken over their life, right? I love this because we think back to the Holy Spirit when Jesus is telling his disciples about the coming spirit, when he calls them the helper. In John 14, 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. So, Right after this in his sermon, when Peter begins to quote Joel chapter 2, the Spirit is bringing to mind what they, he needs to share to these people in that moment so that they might see the truths about Jesus, right? That section is the part when he says, in the last uh, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And he begins to describe many of the things that they just saw in Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension now, Right? The, the night becoming, uh, day becoming night, the blood, uh, moon to blood. Um, I mean, all these things, signs and wonders on, on the earth and heaven above. 
he's, he's saying all these things. I want to point you back to this is prophesied from a long time ago. This just isn't me saying it's amazing. It's connected back to what God has been doing. So he is saying, we see, we're, you're seeing the Spirit. He's giving them the picture. What you're seeing is God's Spirit. Peter's giving the words that he needs and that they're from Scripture and that he's committed himself to that. That's the other part of that, right? When we say like he's committed himself to God's Word enough to know God's Word so that when he needs it, it's there and available to him, right? Probably one of the difficulties of our day uh, that we live in now is that you, can, you don't have to memorize or remember a lot of stuff. I can just Google, right? I Google a phrase from the Bible, a random phrase. It doesn't take long and that phrase shows up. That's awesome. And it also means Google's now kind of my Holy Spirit. I don't have to really need that. And that's a reality. I don't want to have to go to Google for that. I want the Spirit to bring to me, what does that person, what do these people need to hear today? And so I want to trust the Spirit. How do I do that? I need to be saturated with, this God, with God's Word. Um, using Joel 2, he's showing them, listen, God prophesied this from a long time ago. So then he starts down the picture of explaining and showing who Jesus is. So verses 22 through 36, we're not going to go back over and read them, but what you'll find in there are six truths, six doctrines about Jesus that even in the earliest sermon, they're like, this is the facts. This is the stuff you got to know if you're going to know about Jesus, right? You got to know these things. And so for us as believers today, there are things that we need to be reminded of. We need to make sure we're helping other people understand, okay? So I'll walk through these. First, the incarnation, right? Jesus of Nazareth, in verse 22, Jesus came, he was with us, he was here. He's God's son, he's here, the incarnate of God. Authentication, he attested to you. He's like, listen, I'm attesting to you by God and by miracles and by signs and wonders. Like, listen, it's not just that we're saying Jesus was God. He showed you he was God. He authenticated it by, by showing it in his way he lived and the wonders and signs. We see his crucifixion, right? This man you nailed to the cross and put him to death. Over and over throughout scripture, it's talked about the crucifixion of the Savior, of the Lord, the one that's to come, the death of the one that's to come. You did that. His resurrection. God raised him up again, right? That it's not that he stayed dead, it's that God, through, I mean, that Jesus was resurrected through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 24. And then verse 33, we see a, a proof of his ascension, right? Having been exalted to the right hand of God, he's back in heaven with God. And then ultimately his glorification. God has made him both Lord and Christ in verse 36. So we see him going back to Scripture, but yet using these truths about who we know God is and then who we knew the Savior to be in Jesus and saying, this is the one. This is who Jesus is. Peter was revealing details of who Jesus is as a Son of God. Peter also gives us a great way for us to share from our experience of God, right? He keeps pointing out to him, right? You saw, we all saw, right? We experienced this, right? When we're sharing about Jesus and we're only turning the Bible into a textbook and it doesn't come about us actually experiencing it, right? 
I think it loses some of its power. Now, there are people that that's going to be a beneficial way to talk to them about. Your experience doesn't matter as much as what the Bible actually might say or what's, what some other authority might say. So it's both of these needed, right? That I've experienced why it was important for the disciples to replace Judas with one other person. They did it in, in Matthew, in, earlier in, in, in Acts chapter 1. They replaced him with somebody else who had seen and witnessed everything from Jesus' baptism to his resurrection. That was important to them. Why? Because your experience of that matters. Your experience with Jesus matters. What's happened since you've been filled with the Spirit, since you believed, matters. Because it's changed you. And so we can't also take it away, right? We are an eyewitness to who Jesus is. To how Jesus has shown Himself to be who He said He was and has changed now who you are and how you live. So we need both the scriptural importance of that, but also the ability to share this is the impact of the gospel on my life. You get to share your version of this amazing story. It shouldn't get a, like, I don't go to the next person I meet and I want to tell about Jesus and start reading off. Let me just read you this right here because it's not going to echo to them the same way it did to the, the, the Jews in Jerusalem at the time. Right? I'm going to think about I want, to, I want them to understand from my perspective how it's affected me and then now how it might actually affect them. Share it that way. When we get to the climax of the sermon in verse 36, it says, Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. Jesus, or Peter in this sermon is saying, do not forget this is all about the Lord and Savior who you crucified. And when they hear this news, right? Like, what, what do we do with this? Right? Imagine if you're the one there and you're realizing, yeah, I was the one yelled crucify him. I was the one spitting at him as he went by. I was the one talking bad about him and, and, and cursing all you disciples, right? How much better is it that it's Peter, right? Who though followed Jesus was rightly there, who's denied him, who's walked away, who's like pushed him away. So I don't even know him saying like, hey, it's okay. God, God loves you. And let me show you that. It's important. He's even echoing back from verse 21 tells us that, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the simplest part of this, and this is probably the part that's the hardest for people to receive, and sometimes the hardest for us to share, is that it's about belief. And the thing about belief is I can't make anyone believe. You can't make anyone believe. I can't make anyone believe. Right? I can kind of coerce. I can you know, maybe like make them feel guilty or kind of sit through, but I can't make them believe. I can't. All I can do is present the facts and say, this is what I know and this, what, this is what I see. And Peter quoting that is reminding us that belief, though it might seem simple, is the next step for anyone who desires a relationship with Jesus, right? As for us to call people to believe. 
What does belief require out of us, right? Belief requires out of us. We don't have all the answers, but I'm going to trust and believe in it anyway, right? I don't have it all figured out. Like, Peter didn't give them everything about Jesus. He didn't answer all their questions right there. But the call is you're going to have to believe. And maybe for some people, we're helping them to continually move to a next step of belief and a next step of belief and a next step of belief. And one of those steps of belief is going to move them from unbelief in Jesus to belief in Jesus. But for most of us, that's, is what, that's what this has looked like. Very rarely, I shouldn't say rarely, it happens here, right? 3,000 people here that day, and they said, all right, this is it, I'm doing it. And God does that. But we also know, and we've seen stories of people like just God chipping away, working through one thing after another to help them understand and believe. So believe. So just like them, we might be asking, okay, so what do we do? What do we do now? What do we do with this? Where do I go from here? I would say first for us, it's don't move too far from where Peter is at right here. Is that this is the simplicity of it. I think often we've made it more complicated than it really is. It doesn't mean that the message is something that everybody wants to hear. Right? But I'm pretty sure we tell people messages they don't want to hear pretty regularly in life, and we get, and it's okay. It doesn't ruin every relationship, right? But what do we think? If I tell them this, then this is, that's it. And who's that on? Us or them, right? The call is to still love our neighbor. If we share the good news of Jesus, they're like, yeah, I'm not going to believe in that stuff. We go, okay, well, you're an idiot, and I'm never going to talk to you again. No. You're not going to say that. You're going, to, you're going to continue to love them, continue to press into that. But the problem is for most of us, we move to a lot of other stuff that maybe, or maybe we're even worried about. And I know people want to get to those things. Like it doesn't mean you don't ever get to the hard arguments, right? I mean, I still love my neighbor, Charles. Um, he came to Easter a few years ago in our backyard. And he said, you said I could ask you any question anytime. And I was over at his house getting ready to smoke a brisket. I was like, sure. He's like, all right, tell me about dinosaurs. I was like, oh, bro, I don't like, like, I don't have that answer, right? And ultimately what I think what you're trying to get to is like, is what you're believing or not a lie, right? Is that it? Because I was like, do you really want to know about dinosaurs? Because I'll just tell you, Bible doesn't talk much about dinosaurs. I'm not even what I would call a Bible expert, but I can just tell you right now, we're going to have to spend a lot of time working through there if you're wanting to know about dinosaurs, but I can talk to you a lot about Jesus. He didn't want to have that conversation as much, right? And so it doesn't mean we just continually, like, no, I'm not going to answer. Like, hey, I don't know. And it's okay to say, I don't know. That was the most comforting thing on night to go, I don't know about that. I really don't. Here's what I can tell you. I can tell you Jesus has changed my life. And this is how. And this is who he is. And this is what he's done. And if you believe, he can do the same thing to you. And he's not afraid of your questions either. Right? So what would it look like if we as, as believers, as individuals, as a church, continued walking through following him? Right? So they're asking, what do we do? Because they're looking at, what do, how do I actually believe? What, do I, what are the next steps? Right? I'd say for us today, knowing everybody in this room, the next step really is, will I continue in 
proclaiming Jesus to those he brings to me, right? Because that's what Peter did. Peter just walked out the door. There's all these people. I'm going to start sharing the good news. I'd be interested as a one big conversation. I'm just imagining how they get here, 3,000 people. We can barely hear and hear. I can imagine if there's 3,000 people there out in the middle of the city. How is that happening? But because of this, 3,000 people came. Maybe this was just replicated over and over again because all these different guys are speaking in different languages and so they're sharing that out as it goes. But we have to be committed to say, I'm going to share about Jesus and what he's done in my life. That's what Peter's like, all I know to do now. Yes, I was the guy. And that might be you, right? I've not been, maybe you've not denied Jesus to your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, but maybe you've not been proclaiming him, right? So the hard thing is now, like, now how do I do, what do I do now? If I haven't been doing, didn't stop Peter from going like, no, yes, I said three times, I don't know who he is, but I do know who he is today. And I'd go back to uh, Catherine's neighbor's uh, response to, to her, like, it requires more of the spirit in us. We've got to be faithful to proclaim the good news. We've got to be faithful to trust the Spirit. If the Spirit is at work and the Spirit has brought people to you, I can trust that the Spirit will give me the words to say for what they need to hear. And then leave that for what it is. It wasn't just 3,000 people there either, right? They were cut to the heart, but not everybody believed that day. That's the other beauty of this. The gospel of Jesus, that's what cuts to their heart. And when you see it happen, you go, oh, that's amazing. God did that. Because there's been times when I've shared the gospel. In fact, um, there's a a family that came to our previous church at Millwood, uh, a great couple. Um, The husband was not a believer. And I preached a sermon at the end of it that even my sister, when she came up to me, I was there first Sunday there. And my sister came up to me afterwards and was like, ah, that wasn't your best. That was like her first response. I was like, oh, thanks, dog. Appreciate that. I knew. And it wasn't really good. I felt like I was all over the place. It didn't really make any sense. You know, like, that's every week. No, I was fine. But I didn't understand it. didn't get it. And I was like, I just walked away. Like, that was horrible. And that afternoon, um, uh, communicating with the, the wife, she's like, hey, would you come over to our house this week? Um, we were without a pastor of the church at the time. I was like, sure. So I, I brought a, a deacon over with me and we were going to meet with them over their house. And we sat in their house and she was like, hey, listen, my, son, my husband Aaron doesn't, doesn't really believe in Jesus right now. Could y'all just share the gospel with him? I was like, sure. And we sat there and the two of us, the deacon who's now an elder at that church, me, and we fumbled through the worst gospel presentation that, I mean, we got in the car and we both looked at each other and said, what just happened? I don't understand that. I, like, they ought to be running from us right now. I was like, after my sermon this, this, you know, on Sunday, and then now this, unbel- no way. Two days later, Aaron calls me up and says, hey man, after you guys left, I prayed with Heather, and I, I believe in Jesus now. And we got to baptize Aaron. I'm like, still to this day, this is, that's God, this is God's spirit at work. Because it was like, I mean, I've never been in anything like that. Where we got in the car with the other guy, neither one of us wanted to admit how bad it was. Because it was like, maybe I thought I was bad. And I was like, no, he was bad and I was bad as well. We both were just blah, 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 And God showed up. All he's looking for are faithful people who will allow the Spirit to work in him. In them and through them. 
Again, you can have a past. Peter has a past. Peter wasn't perfect, right? We see about Peter for the first part of Acts. Don't hear a lot about Peter at the end of Acts. It's not making a judgment on Peter. It's just the reality. God can use any one of us. He will use and wants to use any one of us for His good news, for, for sharing the good news of the Gospel. And I just want to leave us with this encouragement this morning. That's simply a message of belief, repentance, and an encouragement to follow in baptism was the, the points of his message, right? Jesus, what do I do? Then you believe, you go repent of the way you're living, right? So if today, if there's a response to us, and we're going, God, that's not happening, what do I do? I need to repent in my own life where I've not been following after Jesus and I've not been trusting in the Holy Spirit, not being believing that he could do this. In the same way that somebody might need to repent to change their whole life from going another direction, maybe there's this part of our life where I need to repent to God and just go, God, I'm sorry. I've not been living this way and I'm trusting you from here on out. And then pray for opportunities for people as God brings them into our path. I love it. So those who received his word and were baptized were there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can God do a miraculous work like that? Absolutely. We've talked about it in Jonah, God saving all of Nineveh. God starts his mission right now with the church. This first sermon is 3,000 people coming to faith, right? Do they know every, is, every, is every message now going to turn out like this? I don't know. But a faithful follower of Jesus, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, that's all he's asking us to do. So where do you need to repent today? Where do you need to say, God, I've been going at it on my own, and I need to trust in you? And then who are people that God's putting on your heart to just be faithful witnesses to, to proclaim the goodness of Jesus? Who are those people? Let me pray for us today. Father, I thank you for this morning, for the gift of uh, gathering, to be a part of the body, for the reminder of this sermon from Peter. Thank you for using <laughs> broken and imperfect people. It gives me hope, encourages me that you can use a guy like me. And not that you can use, that you want to use us for your mission. God, we need the Spirit's power. We cannot do this on our own. God, we ask that your Spirit would fill us to overflowing. God, would you give us a gospel message to proclaim to our neighbors that they ask the same question. All right, I see it. I hear it. What do I need to do? That a spark of evangelism of being your witnesses to the world would lie in our hearts. Would you do that in us? Through the small, simple ways. God, show us where we need to repent, where we're going on our own, and that in our repentance, you would use us to be gospel proclaimers to the world around us, just like Peter. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close with this last song, let it be a time for just reflection for you.
you need to do that in any way, just be even asking God those simple questions. God, who is it you put in my heart and what ways do I need to repent?